you are listening to the Moody Girl podcast with me, Emily Fazer. I'll be opening the minds of experts, enthusiasts, and storytellers, discovering their secrets on health and how to make the most out of life. Before we start the episode today, I wanted to ask all of you listeners a question. Did you know that a lot of people are living with lower than recommended magnesium levels? I didn't know this either and had never explored incorporating magnesium into my daily life until I started having skin issues. I now use Better You Magnesium Oil Body Spray when I get out of the shower in the morning and spray onto my feet before I go to bed. I found that when I had psoriasis and hormonal breakouts on my face or body, I would spray it on and at first it really stung. But this was a sign from my body that my cellular magnesium levels were low. The more I got the magnesium into my system daily, the less it stung. It made sense. If you're feeling like you could benefit from having magnesium in your life, I would strongly recommend looking into using Better You Magnesium Oil Body Spray. Link to purchase is in the bio. Now, let's get to the episode. For today's episode, I have a very special guest, my big brother, Nick Fazer. I wanted to get Nick on the show today as he's currently training for a world record free dive called the Doria Project. If you are listening and enjoying the podcast, please do like, share, subscribe and give a five star review. As always, I'm super thankful if you do. So here's a little bit more information on the Doria Project. In 1956, the Andrea Doria sunk and now lies off Nantucket Island in Massachusetts. August of this year, Nick is attempting to be the first ever person to freedive the wreck. For those of you that don't know what freediving is, basically it's a form of underwater diving that requires breath holding until resurfacing rather than the use of breathing apparatus. The SS Andrea Doria is often considered the Mount Everest of diving and has claimed more divers' lives than any other wrecks on Earth which is absolutely terrifying for me as a sister, but I'm fully supportive of the reasons why Nick has undertaken this pursuit. Nick was diagnosed with ADHD in 2013 and had been on medication for a couple of years to help him. He decided to come off the medication as he preferred to use personal coping strategies to manage his symptoms. It was only in the past year when he started to cement those strategies in the training for the Doria project that he noticed huge benefits to his mental health and ADHD. Nick is now an advocate of living with ADHD and using it as his superpower. I'm really excited to share this episode with you all, so let's get to it. Okay, so listeners, I've got a very special guest today. It's none other than my big brother, Nick Fazer. Um, How are you, big bro? (laughs) Not too bad, little sis. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing very good. Um... As we kind of discussed on this episode, it's going to be a bit of a learning curve for me because you have been based in the US since you've been 19. I've been back in the UK. So there's lots that you've been doing, which I probably don't know extensively um, what that looks and sounds like. So audience, I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey today. Um, So Nick, can you describe to the audience... Um, what you're doing at the moment. So where are you currently sitting? Um, What are you doing? And can you talk us through the Doria project, please? Sure, 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 sure. Uh, Well, I'm quite lucky in the fact that I'm currently sat down uh, right in front of the water in Bonaire. Um, Just got in yesterday. So I'm going to be here for the next two weeks uh, teaching some uh, rebreather divers, uh, playing around with something called Trimix, which is just a, a more advanced style of gas that they used to dive with for a, a trip that we have going to Bikini Atoll later on in the uh, summer in September. I think we're headed out to Bikini, which is where the U.S. originally tested the H-bombs, like the wow. atomic bombs for World War II. So we're going to be doing a, uh, a guided trip out there with a bunch of our clients, and we're going to be diving on the shipwrecks that were used in the testing of those H-bombs, which is pretty um, so, question was what Doria project? Yeah, can you talk us through that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the Andrea Doria is a shipwreck. Uh, it was originally a Italian cruise liner 
that was crossing over and headed towards the US and it sank uh, due to a collision uh, with another vessel. And it now lies around 24 hours off of shore uh, from Nantucket or also from New York. It's about equidistant. And the top of the wreck is in around 60 meters or so. So it's about 200 feet to the top of the wreck. And then uh, it gets much deeper down to the sand and, and so forth. But it's quite a storied wreck. It's got a lot of history behind it. Um, it's largely considered the Mount Everest of wreck diving, only because so many people have passed away while diving on this particular uh, wreck. The currents can be super challenging. Uh, they change direction in multiple places throughout the depth of the actual wreck itself. Um, in the water column, uh, the visibility is fairly low. Uh, it's far offshore, so any kind of emergency assistance is typically about an eight-hour air flight away. Mm. Uh, so if, if things go bad, uh, it's, it, you know, there's a lot to do on site before, you know, professional assistance can get there. Uh, and then, unfortunately, it also holds the, the reputation of the, the most deadly wreck in the, in the world. Uh, more, wow. more divers have died on this wreck than any other wreck. I think it's over 17 now. Um, that, that number may be a little higher, um, but last I heard was around 17 people had passed away on the, on the wreck of the Andrea Doria. Wow. And, I mean, when, uh, how, how deep is it? Uh, so it's 60 meters to the top of it. And then the, the sand, I think, gets down to around 280-ish, uh, so around sort of 80 to 90 meter range down towards where the sand is. Wow. Um, and, I mean, can you, because I'm obviously a novice, I've tried diving. Unfortunately, I it doesn't run in the blood because I suck <laughs> at it. <laughs> and... Um, so for anyone out there who's a novice like myself, um, do you, can you can you do it not as a free dive or can you do you have to do it as a free dive or can you t actually take like a tank with air going down there? <laughs> so so that's the cool thing is that nobody's actually ever done it free diving. Wow. Okay. So that that is the Doria project. So all of these divers that have dove the Andrea Doria have all been on scuba equipment. Like with a tank, most people end up diving it with more technical equipment. So either doubles, which is where you have two cylinders sort of manifolded together, or on a rebreather, uh, which is what I'm teaching you know, over the next couple of weeks in, in Bonaire. So the whole project that I've been working on is to be the first person to ever actually do it on breathhold because nobody's, wow. nobody's done that yet. Mm -hmm. um, and what would you say your motivation behind doing this comes from? I think there's a couple of motivating factors. Uh, for, for quite some time, I talked about doing it as a joke. It just kind of came up once. I was like, oh, man, that's actually within my depth range from you know, back when I used to compete. You know, that was sort of around that depth range at that time. So I was like, ah, oh, this is something that's you know, in my wheelhouse. And then, you know, it kind of stayed a joke and nothing really happened. And then a group of friends uh, and I were all out to dinner a couple of years ago. And I'd kind of given up on the idea. It was kind of tongue in cheek in terms of a joke. They always kind of wanted to do it, but never really took that seriously. And then we're sat at dinner, a few friends and I, and it comes up that I wanted to, or at some point wanted to. And one of my friends, Kate, got all excited and she's got a bit of an ADHD brain and she got all elevated and was like, you could totally do it. You should do it. We should do this. How, how do we do this? And then the conversation started snowballing from there. And it, it was timing because then a few months later, I was at the Boston Sea Rovers and chatting with some guys, you know, up in the, up in the reception suite, you know, in the after party. And I mentioned it and they have a ton of experience diving this particular wreck so they also really like to do documentaries like one of them ricky simon uh currently is on the new sewer divers series on on discovery that they, oh, cool. they just popped out yeah yeah, yeah. And it's like crazy it's gross it's 
they do some cool stuff, but it's gross. Uh, but anyway, him, him and his team have done like the Britannic and a bunch of other stuff. And they're like, hey, if you wanted to do this, we could be a safety team. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm down with that if, if you are. So we waited until the, we, we reconvened and waited till the next morning uh, once, you know, the confidence juice had worn off and we'd had some coffee and sort of discussed it a little bit more seriously. And we decided, okay, yeah, let's, let's do this. So it was, it was that, and then there's a second motivating factor. I'm not sure if you ever remember this, but do you remember when Grandma used to get us the book of uh, Guinness World Records for Christmas when we were kids? Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, right? So Grandma's still with us, and I'm super excited about this. So because it's going to be the first person to ever freedive the Doria, we, we put in the paperwork for this to be a Guinness World Record. Cool. So I want to get this in the Guinness Book of World Records and I want to give that to grandma while she's still with us, hopefully by Christmas. Mm. Uh, So kind of come full circle. She used to give us the Guinness Book of World Records as kids. And then I want to give her a Guinness Book of World Record with my Guinness record in it. Oh, Uh, that's so cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I I think she'll trip out. I think she's, uh, I mentioned it to her and she kind of got giddy. I don't think she fully understood what I was talking about, (laughs) but she was excited. (laughs) I was going to say, I don't know how she would understand. That's so abstract. She's sat, oh, in, her, yeah, sat in her bungalow watching the BBC mm-hmm. every day. This yeah, is probably yeah. so nuts for her. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's very good. What were you doing again? A boat? We'll talk about it later. Oh, God. Um, so I guess, like, so the Moody Girl podcast, you know, the stories that I've spoken to people, it's kind of centered around health. um, And the reason I wanted to get you on is obviously what you're doing is really unique and cool. um, But also I've, I've noticed in you, you know, when you've come home, you've been like way more on the exercise. You've been kind of, I don't know, your routines seem to have changed uh, to a point where you seem to, I don't know, just be generally a little bit more, you know, content, I guess, and uh, have focus. Um, so, I mean, ADHD, you, when we were younger, that was never really a discussion point, really. So we never knew that you had ADHD. Um, I do remember looking back at videos when we were a kid at grandma's house and there was one of you like doing karate chops and you were just like <laughs> literally the most hyperactive kid I've ever seen. <laughs> and then also like in New York doing the same sort of stuff there, just like dying to be in front of the camera and like, you know, just full of, full of energy from a young age. That's definitely been you. Um, but obviously I didn't actually even know when you got your diagnosis of ADHD. Can you talk me through that? Yeah, so it was more so, it was actually right around my sort of mid to late 20s. It was right when we were getting ready to buy the shop. Okay. And it it, it, beca- it become questionable as to like why I couldn't focus on a project consistently but everybody else around me was able to sort of maintain a more steady course. And so I finally went to go see a doctor about it and, you know, get, get evaluated. And, you know, the verdict came back as sort of predicted that I had ADHD. And it was, it was interesting because they put me on meds. And originally I started on sort of Ritalin and then they moved me over and I didn't like that. And then I moved over to Adderall. And I, I absolutely hated Adderall. And so I eventually just, I came off the meds and just didn't bother taking them. Um, they, the meds were really awkward because they, they basically softened and almost boxed me in, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it definitely helped me focus, right? It was like a super shot of caffeine. I felt like wired. But at the same point, I didn't feel nearly as creative. I felt almost like a shell of myself or a shadow of myself. And so while I was able to kind of stay on track, I wasn't able to do the things that I normally do. Mm-hmm. And so, and then I got, and then it got dark. 
then you know the the med started getting me depressed and you know, that became a, a real issue and then I started having some some pretty nasty dark thoughts um, you know, based on the depression and I was like all right I'm I'm done with this I don't I don't like this feeling at all yeah uh, so I, I got off the meds um, when was didn't that really, that was probably in my late 20s I mm-hmm. think okay uh, um, probably like 28 29 so maybe like a couple of years because we bought the shop when I was 27. So I think it was probably a couple of years after I bought the shop. I was like, all right, I'm I'm done with this, mm-hmm. um, and I and I got off. And I never really found um, an alternative at that point. I was just like, you know, I'll just deal with it, you mm-hmm. know, sod it. And I had a decent amount of coping mechanisms that I sort of developed myself over the years, just naturally, uh, in order to be able to function. And it seemed as though those coping mechanisms were you know, were enough to at least allow me to, to get by. For anyone, I guess, who's out there who maybe doesn't have a diagnosis of ADHD, uh, who's maybe on meds and feeling as you are, can you describe the process coming off the meds? Was that, you know, was it withdrawal symptoms? I mean, I've never taken medication like that, so I'm not aware of, of how how you would transition off it, basically. I mean, I certainly didn't do it in any kind of professional sense. I yeah. just stopped doing it. But you know me well enough to know that as soon as I decide I don't want to do anything mm-hmm. or I do want to do something, that's it. I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I don't know whether that's part of the ADHD or the fact that I'm just stubborn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, either or. It, it, it actually wasn't too bad. I actually felt a sense of relief. Um, you know, what was interesting is I actually switched out and I found that caffeine – uh, caffeine was a, a decent enough substitute for me uh, versus the medication. Like it gave me enough of a lift and kind of focus my brain where, where most people will get super jittery on like a bunch of caffeine. I'll, I'll narrow right in. Like I'll, I'll operate a hundred percent normally uh, on like 200 milligrams of, of caffeine, which is a, it's a pretty big caffeine dose for most people. It's like one of those big C4s. It's like 200 you know, milligrams yeah um, and most people were like it's super wide that's just that'll get me off the ground that'll just mm-hmm. i now feel normal you know with with drinking a you know a couple of cups of coffee or you know one of those sort of energy drinks but um the process of coming off the meds to recommend to anybody else i mean i can't recommend what i did because mm-hmm. i know it wasn't probably the most thought out way of going about it and I certainly wouldn't want anybody to jump off any sort of event doctor's directions just because some crazy scuba instructor dude sitting in Bonaire said that it worked out for him <laughs> you know um, <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> yeah. yeah so getting I think getting good, you know, good advice but yeah I for me it worked right mm-hmm. and if anybody is feeling those this weird senses of, of depression and or just not feeling like themselves I think there are other ways to be able to handle um, the ADHD, and chemically, I don't know if if that's the the right way, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you said you know you'd notice kind of a difference in my routine, and mm-hmm. that's probably one of the biggest impacts that the Doria project has had for me is that you know one of the things that people with ADHD need in order to gain some sort of level of you know motivation if you will is like a target or like an impending event and so the doria project for me was an impending event and interestingly enough when we first talked about the project my team didn't want it to go public but we discussed not going public like all right we'll keep this quiet and then this will be a big surprise and then i started you know, telling a few people and I told a few more people and then I told the team, I was like, hey, listen, I'm telling people. I'm like, I, I thought we were going to keep it quiet. And I was like, I can't keep it quiet because if I keep it quiet, I'm not accountable. And that means I won't get up and I won't do the work. If I tell a bunch of people, then everybody's going to be like, oh, Nick said he's doing this. And now I have motivation because I don't like letting people down. And if I say I'm going to do something, I want to do it. Right. And I mean, but we were all brought up that way, right? Like mum and dad, 100%. It's like, you're going to say something, Nicholas, you better make sure you follow through. <laughs> uh, 
you know, tell me, tell me I'm wrong. Um, yeah. Right. So I know that. And I know that's a motivating factor for me personally. And so I started telling people. And so to have that impending event of which I was open about it was, was sort of eye-opening because as I thought about that more, I was like, huh, I wonder if I could talk more openly just about what I'm learning about myself and, and learning about ADHD and, and the ways that I interact and the ways that I process. And now when I get distracted or if I'm, right, I'm in a conversation with somebody and I zone out, I'll 100% apologize. I'm like, hey, sorry, what did you say? I wasn't listening. And it wasn't because you you were, you were weren't interesting. It's because my mind, you said something that reminded me of a set of keys. And then I remembered that they were on the table. And then I thought about the cat. And then I think I need cat food. I'm sorry, my, my mind went in a weird direction. Yeah, so if you could rewind that for me, that'd be great. Um, but like being more open about that has sort of enabled a lot more discussions that have also provided insight to my own sort of, mental mechanics mm. of you know how I'm operating and the people who are around me and my friends now know how to deal with me right or how better to communicate and, and the emotional aspect of those relationships even with my staff or my friends right they know that it's not insulting they know it's not because I'm bored right they they're just like, hey, Nick, can we get back onto the topic? You, you span off there again. I was like, oh, yep, totally. That was a different idea. Let's write that down. Come back to that. Let's yeah. get back to the main point that we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right? Which, yeah, you know, it's great that they know that now because, but that's that's part of the the kind of one of the superpowers, you know, that that comes with the ADHD is like this this outside of the box thinking that if you can manage to bring back to center, becomes really really powerful. But you know, between the impending event and then learning how to sort of talk openly about the way that I'm thinking and, and the realizations that I've had, I've started to hold myself more accountable. And because of that, I've started to have to think, do things like work out, right? And I have never been a big fan of going to the gym. Uh, I really do not enjoy the actual process of sitting there and picking things up and putting them down uh, but it's a necessary evil in order to be able to accomplish this goal that i'm shooting for and as part of that what was interesting was that i got to spend an hour to an hour and a half by myself starting off two times a week then three times a week now I'm at the gym five days a week. Wow. Right. As I'm, as I'm building up and it's just become part of my routine and two really big things have come from that one, that hour and an hour and a half that I get to myself. I'm focused on obviously getting more physically fit, but I'm also listening to really interesting podcasts or motivational speakers right like there's a guy out there i'm sure you've heard of him like his last goggins right the, the guy's a, a, an absolute nutbag um but he's a, he's he's capable of absolutely incredible things and when he starts talking you know along with people like you know matthew mcconaughey and denzel washington and like a whole bunch of these other guys like they have a whole bunch of these podcasts out there that talk about success through consistency and so I guess this combination of having an end goal, being held accountable for that end goal in the public eye, which is forcing me to go do something that I don't particularly like to do, which is work out. Mm-hmm. Then I'm working out consistently while listening to motivating speak. And then I'm seeing the gains that I'm getting from that physical training six months later now. Mm-hmm. where I was always about immediate gratification. Mm-hmm. All of that has come together in this like perfect recipe to sort of bring about this enlightenment of, oh, if I just stick with something, even if I don't want to do it and find a way to make it interesting for myself, 
then I can create the consistency that I need to be able to to build that into my routine. Mm. And so that's that's been sort of you know sort of eye opening, right? Um, the other big thing that I've learned, you know, about the whole ADHD thing, and I never really knew this, was that you know one of the big you know things about ADHD is that it's a dopamine deficiency, and that tracks. Dear God, does that fucking track? Um, because I've always been seeking affirmation. Mm-hmm. I've always been seeking immediate gratification. I always want now, I don't think if I can't have it now, I can't have it tomorrow, I'm not interested, right? And that's because of the initial dopamine kicks. And what was interesting about the last six months and, and probably why you've seen you know, a decent change is that that exercises dopamine release. Right, like it feels good. It's challenging in the moment. It's challenging for me to finish a set when I don't want to, but I'm listening to people in my ear being like, "Finish the job, do the thing, blah blah blah." Right, <laughs> you know. And so I do it. I was like, you know what? Yeah, they're right. I'm going to do this, right? And I've got these like little freaking angels or devils, whatever you want to call them, right, in my ear, like goading me on. And then. I finish that set and I leave the gym and I have that dopamine release and I feel good about it, but not only am I feeling good about it, but that, that feel good sensation is now getting tied to me completing a task that I don't typically want to do. Mm. And so now I'm coming away with this with other things in my life where I'm thinking, man, I don't want to do this, but you know what? You need to, so just do it. It's not going to take you that long. Just get it done. You know what? You know what happens. You've seen the positive results of doing things that you don't want to do. So get over it and just get it done. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, I'm going to get it done. I was like, ah, nice little dopamine release. And that's the like that's the kind of funny thing because it's always the small things that you know I struggle with, and I, I you know I believe ADHD people and you know, in general you know, struggle with it's, it's the small tasks. It's like these tiny little things that could be done in five minutes, but I will procrastinate forever until like, the absolute last minute. But you put me in an incredibly intense scenario, like when I was in Socorro, right? Um, which is a, a small little island outcropping like 500 kilometers off of um, Ecuador. Not Ecuador, sorry, off of Mexico, off the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, two years ago, I had you know, one of the divers who was on a boat that I was on fell sick from a, a diving malady. No phones, no internet. All I had was a sat phone and a, and a fairly in a, inexperienced crew. They were, they were okay, but you know, not super confident on what to do. And within 24 hours, I had organized an emergency air flight evacuation, you know, with the Mexican Navy and gotten a plane to come in through another emergency organization through I, I reached out and contacted, got on the boat with her, regardless of whether the Navy said I could or not, and escorted her to the, the chamber. And then once we got her off base, we got on the plane and then got all the way over to Cabo and then spent four days you know, by her side as she went through medical treatment. And that was nothing to mm. me. Like that was, that just, that just was like, okay, we're on. And the stress level that like, kicked me into this overdrive where most people would end up freaking out is just a normal dopamine level for those who suffer from ADHD and it's it's bizarre mm-hmm. right so unless that level of stress is there unless that level of like heightened sort of sensory experience is present achieving you know goals or any kind of you know ordinary mundane day-to-day tasks is it's stressful like it, it, it's stressful in the, in the wrong way right because then we feel bad about it and then you get depressed and then i'm like man you're you're a terrible human why can't you just do this you just clean up half yourself or this or that or whatever right and then we be, you know you get into this loop of self-hatred and self-loathing because you can't do the things that everyday people can and you feel subadequate for it without realizing on the other side that this ability to think outside of the box and operate under extreme levels of pressure is actually the other side to that coin, which is incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. But most people don't ever get an opportunity 
to experience operating at that level and, and see the power in which they have inside. And that's that's something that I like. I really want to start to share and talk about because I want to become a bit more of an advocate for this because it's 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 changed my life. Right? Like now I can see it. Now I can see the ability to do these things. Now I can. I'm, I'm putting these puzzle pieces together, and it's all no medications. Cup of coffee in the morning. Go to the gym and take some time to positive affirmation through podcasts, right? That there's thousands, if not millions of them out there. And it's a healthy way to do it. This is what I was doing, which was partying a lot, drinking a ton. Like I was drinking every night, you know, up, you know, seven, eight months ago, up until that point, like my home place was, you know, I'd get out of work, I'd go get a drink. Mm. I'm, and I'm not talking like drinking until like, you know, the bar closes down. But every day I was having at least two to three drinks after work wow. because I needed that kick. I needed that dopamine hit mm-hmm. and I wasn't getting it. And then because alcohol is a depressant, right, the next day I felt bad at work. And then I was grumpy and I was tired because my sleeping was bad. And I just fell into this really negative cycle of just constantly going to work, lackluster, and then getting out at the end of the day and rewarding myself for that, that cluster with alcohol and having a couple of drinks to make myself feel good again and then go home. And then my sleep would be poor and then I wash, rinse, repeat. And now, you know, I might have a drink once every two weeks. Wow. Maybe once a week now, right? Wow. And I usually, I usually save it, like if there's a particular event or dinner with some friends or whatever, right? And even now, like I'm, I've, cut way back off cocktails i'm typically you know if i do have a drink i'll have like a glass of red wine or something you know a lot less and i don't miss it mm-hmm. no and i don't miss it because it's not that i was an alcoholic it was it was that i had adhd and i needed a dopamine hit that i wasn't getting from my work anymore because i'd lost passion for it mm-hmm. right and the and the Doria project kicked that back up because now I have a I had passion again because I felt strong in the water. I felt like I was doing something of importance within diving, and that made me feel positive about diving again, and that I was going to have a good impact and do something cool. And with that, and the fitness and the change of that whole regimen, I just changed dopamine hits. Mm. But that dopamine hit is important, and it has to be some from somewhere, and. and I don't know how true this is, but you know, somebody was talking to me the other day. So this is second-hand or third-hand knowledge at best. But you know, they were saying that you know, basically Adderall is basically like a, a dopamine bump. And so that's what that medication does is it gives you that little dopamine kick to, to make you feel normal. But the drawbacks of that you know, are, are all of those other negative things that we kind of talked about and, and spoke about earlier. I feel like that makes a huge amount of, of sense. And like, even from, I mean, I don't know whether I have ADHD. I haven't been diagnosed. I don't know if I'm going to go and get diagnosed. I think at the moment I'm just figuring out who I am and what works for me. What What are your thoughts on getting diagnosis? I mean, I would 100% go to get diagnosis. Mm-hmm. If, you, if somebody thinks I have ADHD, like it's becoming a lot more apparent. Yeah, that this is out there, right? And, you know, and it was a huge stigma for a really long time, right? Like ADHD was this thing that you know when people had issues, like wow, these kids just can't focus. Mm. You know, they just they just need a bit of discipline. They just need a, you know, the, the question was never asked why. Mm. You know, it was like oh well, yeah, they just watch too much TV as a kid. Right? But there was a lot of assumptions made, but nobody ever really started leaning in. And having open discussions about what this all meant to people and and why and how. Like how does this operate? Like what's going on here? And I think now it's far it's far more common and it's becoming a much more openly discussed topic. I think it's a good opportunity for people to go and get that checked out and, and go see. Yeah, because there's 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 actually a lot of different types of ADHD. It's not all the freaking kid in grandma's backyard doing karate chops or you know <laughs> running around in New York like a bat out of hell, right? Not not all of us are bouncing off the wall, you know, yeah. energy wise. 
I also think it's different between men and women as well. Yes. Like uh, I yes. think it's much, it you know, manifests much differently in terms of the symptoms. Yeah. Yeah, from my understanding, that's 100% accurate. Um, I think getting, getting checked out would do a few things. One, at least if you know, mm -hmm. then you can start to sort of dig deeper for yourself. You'll, you'll get a kick out of this. You'll laugh. This is a complete side tangent. But I'll tell you, one of the most helpful things for me that helped me start to figure out a lot about my ADHD was when TikTok figured out that I had ADHD. No way. Yeah. TikTok, <laughs> TikTok's a better dude. I, it, it's laughable, right? Because it's such a silly app that people just like waste so much time on. And man, I've, I've caught myself doom scrolling for sure. Right. <laughs> but the, the algorithm on that certainly lines up. Yeah. And it's, it's really, it, it started picking out, you know, and I started seeing more and more of this ADHD content. And I saw more and more, you know, um, people sharing reels of, you know, does your life look like this? Do you do this? Do you do that? I'm like, that's me. That's me. Holy crap, is that me? <laughs> and, and then as I started digging more and more into it and watching more and more of these, I started doing like a little bit more reading. And that's when I started, like, I would see a TikTok reel. I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to take that for 100%, right? Because it's TikTok. But it does start a conversation in my mind. So now I'm going to, like, I'm going to veer off in this little rabbit hole and I'm going to go start digging around on YouTube. And then I start doing a bit more reading and other sources. Like, like oh, actually, there is some validity to this. So there's some validity to that. It's like, oh, maybe not so much over here, though. And, you know, the, the things that kind of came up were the fact that the, um, there's what, five, five motivating factors for like typically people with ADHD and some of them are just motivating factors for most people. Um, but the, the mnemonic is pinch. Um, and I forget exactly what it stands for. I'd have to look it back up again, okay. um, but there's basically the, the mnemonic for it is pinch. Um, but there's like five motivating factors for, for people with ADHD. And one of them is like interest, uh, and then you know, you know, there's a um, pressure like under like under timing and stuff like that, whatever. But anyway, here we go. I've just I've, I've just brought it up on um on the internet. So we've got five motivators. Important. Uh, da, da, da. Okay, play, humor, creativity, in yep, um yep. interest, novelty, yep. competition, yep. hurry up, yep. and then in brackets urgency. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So there yeah. they are, listeners. There's a, and you can Google those and find out a little bit more and do your reading as well. If you think that, you know, if TikTok's manifesting uh, ADHD <laughs> for you and it keeps showing up on your algorithm, it might be a sign. <laughs> also, so. TikTok is like the most ideal app for anyone with ADHD, by the way. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, of course it is. It's like 60 second bits of information. I'm like, all right, it's cool next. Oh, that's cool next. <laughs> I even get bored after 10 seconds. This is not interesting enough. Gone next. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's brutal. It is. It sucks you in. It's deadly. It's absolutely deadly. They know what they're doing. I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about Cytoplan, a unique science based supplement company with many years of experience in nutritional science and whose emphasis is on quality of product. My medical herbalist swears by them as they don't use any unnecessary bulking agents. Before I found out about Cytoplan, I was taking up to eight supplements a day, all with bulking agents in them. It was such a relief to find out Cytoplan products are extremely pure. I now use them daily and I would recommend them to anyone looking for quality vitamins and supplements. They have a great range for many different health benefits. So if you'd like to find out more, please follow the link in the bio of this episode and check out Cytoplan. You won't regret it. Obviously, you know, when you come back home and everyone kind of speaks about like, oh my God, Nick's like living the life, like doing this dive career, you know, you've got this 
dive shop in Boston. You're doing free diving with the Boston Sea, sea Rovers. You're on the board of Boston Sea Rovers. Um, you know, so you, you've always had this quite interesting career. Um, I wanted to ask, was it always that you were passionate about diving um, or was it that you just needed something to kind of grab onto at that time? Because I know you're around 19 when you went over to the States and you were kind of, you know, I think you you found it at a quite a young age, really. And then you've been able to make such a successful career out of it. But I'm just thinking for anyone out there who, you know, maybe hasn't found that thing that they want to do and they're stuck in situations or jobs or, you know, things where they know that they aren't actually lighting them up creatively, passionately, um, you know, what would be your advice on that? And can you tell us a little bit more about the process and your story finding your career? I spent a lot of time thinking about this because it's not the first time I think I've been asked that. And as much as I hate to say it, it just comes down to doing what you want. And the world, for the most part, will tell you that that is immature. Mm. And that you have to fit in and you have to do this thing and you have to do that thing. And I disagree. I think there are certain things that you need to do. Self-care. Finding out what's important to you. Right? Committing to things like you know, cleaning your house and showering each morning. <laughs> uh, all, of, all of those things you, yes, you, know, you need to do. But everything else, that just comes down to whatever the hell you want. I've never... Yeah, you remember me in high school. Like, I don't like being told what to do. Mm-hmm. I don't like being told what to do without some, like, without good reason. Like, I'm happy to take direction if that direction comes with a validation statement. Right? I need you to do this because this and this and this. Oh, yeah, that 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 checks. I can do that for you. Versus, you need to do this. Why? Because I told you so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do anything because people told me to, and I don't, and I never, I don't, you know, and, I, and I'm not saying that the world needs to become a bunch of anarchists to, to find they're happy, but I do think people need to question more about why they're making decisions and who they're making those decisions for. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it actually boils down to, right, is are, are you doing something for you or are you doing something because everybody tells you that's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And the amount of people that I'm sure are caught in jobs and are stuck in the grind of a job that they absolutely hate, you can get out of it. You can 100% get out of it. There are ways. Like if you, if you, take, if you take a moment and you put together a plan, like, right, I hate this thing. I hate this job. I want out. But I know I've got bills to pay. All right, well, let's weigh up the things here. What bills don't I have to pay? How much money could I get by with if I cut out all the superficial stuff and just needed necessities? Okay, let's do that. Now you have that plan squared away. All right, well, now, given that amount of money, what could I do that I kind of like that would bring me enough of an income to get by? And from there, now you're bringing about just happiness in what you do, right? I could never imagine living my entire life spending 40 hours a week in a cubicle in a job that I couldn't wait to leave or live for the weekend. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds like that comes from a place of privilege, and I am certainly very lucky, right? I'm, I'm lucky that the chips have fallen in, in the way that they have, right? But it hasn't been easy. Like none of this, none of this has, has been easy. I've had to figure out, you know, when we went to buy the business, no bank would touch us. We had to figure out a way in which to get financing 
and get creative with that in order to buy them out. We had no money in the bank. We started East Coast Divers with $3,000 in our pocket and the inventory that was in the basement. And that was it. And it was like, all right, let's see if this works. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Right. <laughs> right. And, 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 and again, that's sort of those ADHD things. It's like, well, there's the pressure for you. There's the hurry up. Yeah. Right. Because you, you've got to make it work because it's either you know, do or fail. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I'm willing to, I'm unwilling to accept failure. I'm unwilling to accept failure in anything that I have decided that I will accomplish. Right. And that's the same thing with TRP. When I started TRP as a charity, you know, four or five years ago, it's because we had another organization that was working with us and they just weren't doing it justice. Mm-hmm. And they weren't and they weren't serving this veteran community nearly as well as they could have. And I got sick and tired of getting in arguments with them when all they were doing was just giving handouts instead of actually taking these individuals and giving them good skills and, and providing a community for them. Mm-hmm. Right? And I got passionate about that. So I made it happen. Right? Yeah. And within two weeks, like I put out a thing on Facebook, Facebook and was like, all right, I need a bunch of veterans. I have an idea. I sat down in a room at the back of the shop. Two nights later, we came up with a logo. I came up, you know, we came up with uh, a name for the organization, like the Tactical Reintegration Project. And two weeks later, we were incorporated. And six months after that, after doing some digging and, and grabbing some, you know, some friends who were lawyers that were also passionate about veteran affairs, we got our five hundred one c three charity status. Wow! It was all in six months, mm-hmm. right? Like, I've never went to business school. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to college, right? <laughs> like, I, I did fairly well at GCSEs. I did medium at A level, and that's only because I hated most of my teachers. So I just decided to start working in the Red Lion instead of going to school. The Red uh, Lion is a mother. pub, a pub, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> mother was not happy about that. Um, but yeah, all of this stuff is is doable if you just take the time to figure it out. Mm. Like, what is it that you want? If you don't want it, then don't cry. Yeah. Like, if you don't want it and you don't want to change, then you can't sit there and you can't complain about it, right? I didn't think, oh God, who was it who said it? I forget the name of who said it, but there was uh, something I heard the other day, and it was, people will only change when the discomfort of their current status becomes such that the fear and discomfort of change becomes approachable Mm, yeah people are happy to be mediocre they're happy to put up people are happy to be i'll I'll change me over mediocre because that that's the wrong word right that's that's kind of harsh people tend to get happy to just be in in this sort of normalized medium state Mm mm-hmm yeah, complacency almost. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of complacency, but more so just comfort. Mm-hmm. People get comfortable. Yeah. And, and comfort, comfort truly, and this is going to sound crazy, right? But this is something that I've come to the realization of, is that comfort is the true enemy of progress. Mm-hmm. In order to get anywhere, in order to improve in any way, shape, or form, you need to get out of your comfort zone. But that's scary. Yeah. And when we live and when we live in a world and we live in a society where we are now provided almost every comfort. You want to you want to reach out to somebody, text message instantaneous. You want to you want some food, Grubhub, bang, right? Food's on your doorstep in 20 minutes. You want a movie? We don't have to go out to the movies. We don't have to wait. It's got to be on Netflix. If not, I'll I'll download it on Amazon Prime. Whatever you want now, you don't have to wait. The, the entire world has built around immediate gratification and unfortunately from what i can see within myself is that i got so comfortable i was unwilling to test those boundaries and that's when i started getting really depressed and that was up until about a year ago that i had fallen into a really really dark place Mm. i didn't know how to get out of it and i was lucky and i was lucky that my friends got me amped up about this story of project. I was lucky that the people that surround me that I open up to question my self-doubt 
And when I'm negative, they shut down my negative talk and tell me to shut it down and provide positive you know, impact. Like I've got a few close friends that are you know, incredibly supportive and having those people around you and daring to step outside of that comfort zone versus being comfortable and surrounding yourself with 2,000 followers, 5,000 followers, all who which don't give two craps about you, but just like your stuff. So all you're getting is the dopamine hit from them mm-hmm. versus any kind of real support. It's a very dangerous place to be, mm. you know? Yeah. And the world's into it. Right? The whole world, the whole world's addicted to it. Like social yeah. media is as good as it has been for many things. It's also incredibly toxic. Yeah, it really is. I think like, I think both you and I probably out of the four siblings and because Christian and I were discussing this the other day about how me and you are very similar in our traits. And I think we, in terms of social media, I think we are probably slightly addicted. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. And if you think you have ADHD, like... Mm-hmm. There's there's a certain there's a certain level to that where that's feeding into your dopamine deficiency, yeah. right? Like getting getting those likes and feeding into that a hundred percent like mm-hmm. validates that. Mm-hmm. Right? You're like, oh, another click, oh, another click, ah, cool. <laughs> I'm, not, uh, I'm not saying that everybody who's addicted to social media yeah has ADHD, but I'm yeah. certainly saying that social media has a very e is a is a very easy access point for those that do to be able to get that easy validation that that affirmation that they're so desperately in search of yeah and then also i i know because you posted the other day about the doria project and then you opened up a little bit um about adhd um and you know part of that that i took from it was when you spoke a lot about self-doubt um, and not really having, I guess, a hundred percent confidence in your abilities, and and so f- obviously the journey that you're on now, um, do you find that naturally you have more confidence in what you're doing? I guess you know it's quite, as you say, it's a really risky dive. So for you to be doing that without confidence, surely now. You, are you in a headspace where you are believing in your capabilities that you can do that dive, which is a hell of a scary one? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Good. Yeah. Like I can, I can hundred percent do this dive. Mm-hmm. I can hundred percent do this dive, and and what's been really important for me is that this time round of getting back to depth, right? versus 10 years ago when I was competitive has been a very different journey. Mm. When I was in competition back when, you know, I was what, 27, 28, right, around that time, I was very gung-ho. And I was hitting depths for the first time in competition. I wasn't really doing a lot of training. I was just doing it because I was stubborn enough to do it. And it was never a good way to go about it. And unfortunately, I had a friend die in front of me in competition, and that was the last time I ever competed. Wow. Right? Like, that was right after I dove. I turned early at uh, 50 meters. I remember the dive. My, my sinuses were all jacked, and it wasn't worth my career in blowing out my sinuses for this dive. So, uh, you know, I made a, a one to, you know, for once, I made a mature decision back then. Um, <laughs> And I turned and then, you know, my buddy Nick dove after me and unfortunately, you know, he pushed it too hard and he didn't, he didn't make it. Um, I won't, I won't go into all the details, but you know, that was the, that was the last time I flew out the next morning. I was like, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. Um, And this year has been the first time that I've been back to 50 meters since that day. Mm-hmm. And that was in January. But I, I've been very particular about sort of my training leading up to this, I guess, because I, I didn't want it to be like that. I wanted it to be calculated. I wanted it to be comfortable. I wanted to know within my heart of hearts that I could 
I could do this dive and I didn't want to get out there and be like, oh man, this is so much pressure. Right. And I don't know whether it's just because I've gotten, I've gotten a little older and I'm a little wiser and I've got, you know, become a little bit more, um, that's what I'm looking for. Appreciative of life, I guess. Um, versus, you know, being a little bit more reckless, which, you know, that recklessness is a hundred percent, you know, symptom of ADHD when it was like, oh yeah, you tend to be reckless, and, you know, frivolous. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> <Bad> tracks. Um, <laughs> you know, building up to this dive has been really interesting because I, I, I wanted not only to achieve certain goals, but when I achieve those goals, it's been important for me to achieve those goals and then achieve them repetitively. Mm-hmm and not jump ahead too quickly. And that whole slowing down and waiting and getting over the immediate gratification as the motivator mm-hmm. and getting into a more consistent and disciplined nature has been a big changer for me. And I'll tell you, there was something, there was another there was another thing I, I was listening to. And this was this was a, a phrase that really stuck with me. Was this guy was talking about how he struggled a lot with ADHD and how he, he was very similar to me in the terms that he didn't like people telling him what to do. And so he knew this about himself and that he had a long thought about it, think about it. And he came to the realization, it's like, what if I was stubborn in the opposite direction? What if instead of being like, no, I'm not doing that because people tell me to. What if I say to myself, no, I am going to do this because you don't want to. And that was super interesting to me because now every time I have these moments of self-doubt or every time I begin to struggle with completing these very simple tasks that I don't want to do that little phrase pops into my head the little all right you don't want to do it well guess what now you have to because <laughs> now you know this about like now I'm being stubborn to myself I was like right you know what this isn't helping you you're this is this is no that is weakness on your part you know this is a deficiency you are aware that this is a deficiency so you're going to do something or you're not so do it you do everything else that people tell, when people tell you to do something, it's like, fine, I'll do it. I'll do it better. Don't tell me what to do. How about you turn that inwards? I'm like, fine. How about you don't do what you say? Like, and it's like a flip there. It's like, you say you don't want to do it? Fine, then I'm going to do it. And, I'm, and I've flipped that now. And it's become quite powerful. But it, it's a weird thing. But, you know, these little phrases and these little hooks or mantras that you kind of keep in your head that you latch onto, mm. um, you know, become quite, become quite handy. I was actually going to say, in terms of like a life motto, what would you say? And obviously, this has changed, I imagine, quite extensively throughout the period of your life. But currently, would you say that's your mantra, life motto, what you're living by? Or do you have something else that's even more kind of strong than that? I'll, I'll go back... 12 years now there's a freediver a British freediver by the name of Sarah Campbell and incredible absolutely incredible athlete set onto records and so I was lucky enough to have her as one of my coaches uh, during a master class out um, on Dean's Blue Hall and I'll never forget she was doing a yoga experience. She, she specialized in Kundalini. Ah, no way. Uh, and it's, it lends that, that, Kundalini lends itself quite well to freediving um, and the mental aspect of it. And she said something as it was getting challenging. She said, much like this, that you're challenged now and much like on your dives from here on out, Allow yourself the experience. Don't cut yourself short 
you don't know what you're capable of until you try it. Mm -hmm. So allow yourself the experience. And that, that just, it stuck. Like, mm -hmm. and, and that was the first time I went from like 30 meters to 60 meters you know, in five days. And that was all that was on repeat in my head during that entire dive. Uh, and even now, I'll catch myself distracted in conversations. I'm going to stop. Allow yourself the experience. Mm -hmm. Because I'm anxious or I'm thinking about something else. I stop thinking about that. Like you're, you're, when, I, when, when I get distracted like that, I'm missing the entire experience. I'm, I'm, I'm not present. Yeah. And that's, why, and that's why free diving has been such a huge thing for me, right? Because I have no choice but to be present. I have to be in the moment. Yeah. I can't think forwards because if I think forwards, that anxiety will, will absolutely curtail my dive, right? And my, my heart rate will spike and, and my relaxation tanks, right? I can't be thinking about something like, you know, completely different. I just have to be 100% in the moment during that entire dive. And then all of that fear washes away. Mm. and i think that's incredibly important i think that's a that's a life lesson that a lot of people who get caught up in the day-to-day -day grind need to hear every now and then is just stop and allow yourself the experience you've got one life you literally have one life and the moment you realize that that life is is finite that's when that's when it changes because that's that's what's happened for me in the last year or so right it was like oh i've got plenty of years left and i, I kept being like i've got plenty of time i've got plenty of time <laughs> and then it suddenly dawned on me that i could get cancer tomorrow i could get hit by a bus tomorrow like who knows what the future holds but if i constantly live in this depression if i constantly live in this mindset of self-doubt and defeat and I don't want to change or I don't really feel like it but I'm complaining about it and it's not something that is making me happy I only have one person to blame mm. and that's myself yeah when it comes down to it like there's a couple of couple of things that and these are dark realizations right but they were important number one nobody's coming to rescue you Nobody's coming, like you may have family, you may have friends, but eventually they will get tired of trying to pull you out of that hole. Mm -hmm. And one by one, those people will eventually disappear. And unless you pull yourself out, eventually you're just going to end up staying there. Mm -hmm. So you are 100% solely responsible for that. And two, stop doing things because you're afraid of what people might think. Mm. And I've always felt this way since I was a kid. But it, an affirmation of this was the realization that when you die, there's going to be a bunch of people around your funeral that are going to be crying and they're going to be sad. And two years later, they're still going to miss you. And five years later, there'll be a few, more, few people of that group that really still think about you. And before you know it, Within five to six years, you'll be a passing thought that may or may not bring a smile to the people that were closest to you. Anybody else that's around you will completely forget. So why are you living your life? Why was I choosing to live my life hiding myself and what I wanted to do and the abilities of the things that I was capable of doing for fear of potentially upsetting others around me that weren't courageous enough or strong enough to be able to step out of their own comfort zones. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean treading on people because, you know, to, you know, out of disrespect. I mean, not trying to be the best that I can, the fear of making those around me who were sad and or also depressed feel worse. Mm -hmm. We can't guide that way. We can't, we can't lead that way. You can't be the best version of yourself that way, right? It's only by allowing yourself to fully embrace the fact that life is finite and that life is short. 
and that you will never know what you're capable of until you allow yourself the experience of potential failure. Mm-hmm. But you have to be willing to fail in order to see how strong you are because then you get to make decisions. That's when you get to make, okay, cool, that failed. What's next? Why? If you're too afraid to fail, you're never, ever going to get outside of that compass. Wow. I mean, pretty much that was an amazing ending. Um, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and more about the Doria Project. For anyone who's listening at home who'd like to find out more about the Doria Project and to keep update with your progress, can you let me and them know where we can find out more information? Uh, I'm pretty much just sharing most things on my social media uh, at this point. Uh, so if people uh, want to follow me, that's totally fine. Uh, my Instagram is basically at Nick Fazer. Uh, and then my Facebook's the same, just forward slash for us old peoples who are still on the book of faces. Uh, <laughs> it's just slash Nick Fazer as well. But uh, feel free to follow. Um, shoot me an ad. If anybody feels like this resonated with them, uh, feel free to reach out. Um, that post I did on Facebook the other day, I didn't realize how much power it had until I think I had six different people reach out to me um, privately through Messenger. It was like, hey, man, saw your thing. Would love to chat sometime. Mm. I was like, that's super cool. So if, if anybody needs anybody to chat to, and just even if it's just to say hi, and I'm here, and... And, you know, give, give me a shout and, you know, let's, I'll, I'll start sharing more and more ADHD content once I start and you know, get done with the Doria project. I think that's probably the next direction I'm going to start to go in terms of what I want to share with the world. Amazing. Um, well, thank you so much. And what time is it there now? Is it like five o'clock? Ten to five? It's, uh, t- it's ten to five, so it's, uh, it's almost uh, rum time. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't be more jealous. I'm just about to go wash my face, put the alarm on, and hold myself accountable as we go to the gym tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so, um, as you should. Yeah, exactly. But you've very much inspired me, and I hope you've inspired the listeners as well today with your story. Um, so thank you so, so much for chatting with us today. Yeah, no worries, Em. I'll see you in three weeks. Yeah, see you in three weeks. See you UK side. (laughs) All right. Bye. 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 Love you. Love you, I'm so happy that I could have got my big brother on today's show and thank him for being so open and honest about his experiences. He made some really interesting points on living life for yourself and not for anyone else. Nick's career path was unconventional to say the least, and he took the risk to move to America by himself at the age of 19 to pursue his passion of diving. This for me is an inspiring motivator for my own life path, and I hope it is for yours as well. I know it's hard to do and I struggle with it a lot, but when you do block out exterior pressures and resistance and listen to your gut, it often becomes very clear what direction you should take your life in. If you'd like to keep up with Nick's journey, you can follow him directly on Instagram at Nick Fazer, which is spelt N-I-C-K-F-A-Z-A-H. And his business is at East Coast Divers. He also uses Facebook at Nick.Fazer. As always, you can keep up with what I'm up to at Moody Girl Official. You've been listening to the Moody Girl podcast. Until next time. <laughs>